This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a high fly ball. Right field and deep. Geyer to the wall. Rays win. Rays win. Rays win. D-Man Toy with a two-run walk-off home run. The Rays winning ways here at Tropicana Field continue. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. On the lineup, he pitches. Adamas launches one way up into the air into left field. This one's got a chance. Turning Benintendi, Willie Adamas. With his first big league hit, it's a home run against Chris Sale. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Welcome to our latest show. Today we'll chat with Brandon Lau about his new contract, his humble beginnings, and how he met his wife Madison. We'll look at the race bullpen with Coach Stan Borowski and visit with principal owner Stuart Sternberg. We start, though, with highlights from a pretty good week gone by. Sunday, the Rays were looking to win their first series against the Houston Astros, and one bat provided all the offense Tampa Bay needed. There's a swing and a drive to center field by Austin Meadows. Marisnik going back to the wall. It's gone! Austin Meadows with a two-run home run to almost straightaway center field. And just like that, the Rays have regained the lead with a second home run of the season. It's 3-1 Tampa Bay. That turned out to be the final as Yanni Chirino started and went seven strong innings and the bullpen shut the door in a third straight victory, 3-1. Monday, the Rays welcomed a new opponent to town in the Colorado Rockies. This time it was a different hero as Kevin Kiermeyer stepped up. Pitch. He drives one, though. Deep right field, way back to the wall. Goodbye. Kevin Kiermeyer with his first home run of 2019. He hits it into the seats in right field. It's a three-run home run, and the Rays have opened this game up a bit. It's six to one. Kiermeyer drove in four. Brandon Lau homered as well. The Rays won their first game using an opener in 2019, 7-1. Tuesday, Blake Snell made his second start. Now, he said pitch selection was an issue in his first outing, but that certainly wasn't the case in his most recent appearance. Story leads at first. The 0-2 pitch on its way to Dahl. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. The ball down in the dirt. Zunino scoops it up and throws the first for the out. And that is a record-tying 13th strikeout. For Blake Snell, it might be the final battery faces tonight, and he was magnificent. Snell went seven shutout innings. Tampa Bay scored three in the first and went on to win for nothing. Wednesday, the Rays looked for a sweep of Colorado and a six-straight win. Charlie Morton went six shutout innings, and Tampa Bay had plenty of chances but left 13 on base. Finally, it was the Rockies who got on the board first in the 11th. Breaking ball launched to left field and deep. Back at it is Tommy Pham. He turns around, and it's gone. So he left that slider out over the plate. Chris Iannetta was ready for it, and he hits it out to give Colorado a 1-0 lead here in the 11th. Tampa Bay fell by that same score as the Rays settled for a 5-2 homestand, still good for the top spot in the AL East. Thursday, the Rays were off before beginning a nine-game, three-city, three-time zone road trip on Friday in San Francisco against the Giants. Tampa Bay scored four two-out runs in the first, 
all on extra base hits, and Tyler Glasnow took over from there. Here's Glasnow pitching. Strike three, called on the outside corner to retire the side. A fastball that just nipped the outer edge at 96, and Bochi is letting home plate umpire Kerwin Danley hear it a little bit, but the inning is over and the shutout intact. Glass now wins six shutout innings. Things got a little hairy in the late frames, but the Rays won 5-2, moving to 6-2 and for the first time in franchise history. And then yesterday, Tampa Bay looked for a series win. The Rays had leads of 1-0 and 3-2, but in the home fifth, the Giants answered. Now the 2-1. There's a swing and a fly ball to the left. Back at it is Tommy Pham. He's to the wall, and it's gone. Brandon Belt goes the opposite way to left field. It's his third home run of the season. And the Giants' offense is finally coming to light. They have scored four times here in the fifth and have taken their biggest lead of the afternoon. It's now 6-3. to three. San Francisco went on to win 6-4. to four. Tampa Bay will look to win the rubber game of three today. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Coming up, my conversation with Brandon Lau. What's been his toughest challenge in the game? An 0-for-19 big league start or something else? Find out right after this on the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball, and our featured guest this week is uh, one Brandon Lau. And, Brandon, it's amazing how things can change uh, within a given year. How much have you reflected since signing the extension on how different a year makes? I mean, you're starting in Double A about this time a year ago, and here you are now putting yourself in position to have a lengthy big league career. Yeah, it's definitely uh, stuff's happened fast, and, you know, it's been... You know, an awesome time, you know, getting here and stuff like that. But, yeah, it it is. it's a little weird, you know, looking back. And, like, I I was in – this time last year I was in Montgomery. And, you know, all that's – it's it's weird to think about. But, you know, I'm I'm here right now and I'm trying to do my best while I'm here. Have you had a chance just to reflect on what all of this means for your family? I can't imagine, you know, the value of of what's occurred for you. A little bit, yeah. You know, definitely when uh, we first – we're talking in, in, in talks with you know the Rays and you know they were talking with my agent. You know I, I, I stayed away from it because you know it's 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 a lot of money getting thrown around number wise and you know when we had seen what we were comfortable with or that that's we're set for a very long time and you know we're we should be stable if we're smart. You know it's kind of crazy to think about, but it, it it's a very comforting feeling to know that you know we're set up we're in a good position for the rest of our lives when you were drafted out of the university of maryland what were your original thoughts what were you hoping did you in your own head have hey i hope i'd love to get to the big leagues and i'd love to do it by this time always wanting to get to the big leagues was has been my dream and a goal of mine since i was probably six or seven years old and you know that was nothing had changed once i got drafted you know it was just always i set on you know, an attainable goal, and I always thought that was something that that could be done. We've talked about you obviously rising quickly, but at the same time, you've handled a fair amount of adversity. I mean, you had, what, an ACL injury your first year at Maryland. You break your leg right before the draft. You started your big league career 0 for 19 and obviously handled that well. Of the three, what was the hardest part for you and why? The hardest one was, without a doubt, my ACL. And Strictly because, you know, I'd gone 18 years without a major injury. I'd never known what it was like to not play and be healthy. And I was in line to, you know, I'd gone out and won a starting job. And, you know, I'd 
was so excited for that. And then one play took it away for seven months. And as an 18-year-old kid to go to the doctor and him tell you that you're not playing for a year was difficult for me. But, you know, it was one of those things that you could either take one of two ways. You could fold and, you know, let it take care, take over you, or you could, you know, crush the rehab process and come back better. Now, who was most helpful during that time? Had you already met Madison, your now wife, or, or your, your dad, your mom, who was kind of helpful in all that? So my, my family was very helpful for the first, you know, little bit when I was at home. And, you know, I was with them for, I want to say, like, two, three weeks. You know, they had to help me, you know, get up, walk around and stuff like that. But then once I got to, I had to go back out to Maryland and rehab. And I think uh, a big a big help for, of me was one of my roommates, Brandon Cassis. He, uh... I was on a lot of pain medication and stuff like that, and I wouldn't eat. I was just like, I'm not hungry. And he would actually pull a chair up in my room and sit there and be like, I'm not leaving until you eat. And he had to do that a few times, and I'm thankful for him doing that. Are you still tight with him? Yeah. me. So me, him, and another one of my roommates, we talk all the time. We have a group text and we're very active in each other's lives. How important is it to have, you know, you've obviously got a strong family situation, but have that kind of grounded group. It sounds like you're the type of person who kind of wants to stay as is, that what's happening now for you isn't changing a whole lot. No, absolutely not. And that's, I I, I give a lot of credit to, you know, my family and how I was brought up. You know, I was small town Virginia, didn't, never, didn't come from a whole lot, never knew a whole lot. So just because you know you have the ability to go out and spend it doesn't that's not who I am it's not who my wife is and you know we hope that's you know how our kids turn out eventually hey, your dad was a baseball player too he was a pitcher how far did he get I know he played college and how did he did he get you kind of started on the game yeah so he he was only he didn't make it out of college um pitched there I think probably four years uh, I, I would assume and uh he was a baseball coach when I was born and you know I'd always been around the game and you know it was cheap babysitting when uh you know there's so many other players out there so you know I just had always been around baseball and loved being you know hitting swinging doing anything that you know was outside and on the field and you know the love for the game developed early you mentioned small town, but the area you're from in Virginia is like loaded with major league guys. I mean, whether it's Kadire, Zimmerman, the Uptons, etc. Were you aware of, and and if so, were any of those guys guys you met or wanted to be like as you grew up? So I, I had known of you know David Wright and the Upton brothers because they're you know they would have gone to school you know in my district and. So I knew of them. My mom and my sister are big Mets fans. So, you know, David Wright was a big name in my house. And, you know, the way he played the game was incredible and, you know, modeled a lot after him, just how he handled himself and, you know, how he was in the game. And I actually did get to meet him, you know, Kadire, the Upton Brothers, um, when they did a Home Run Derby fundraiser event for a new high school that was opening in the area. I don't remember how how old I even was. I might have been in seventh grade or something. And my dad knew the head coach that was at the new high school, and he 
came up to me and was like, hey, would you want to meet anybody? And I mean, I'm just, I, I was not a very loud kid. I didn't, I wasn't outgoing. Shocked. As, as you can tell. And he was like, hey, you want to meet these big leaguers? And my eyes lit up, but I didn't say a word. He was like, all right, come on. And I got to go meet all of them. And you know, it, was, it was a really cool experience. And yeah, so. <laughs> you might actually win the home run derby against some of those guys if you did it now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. They hit some balls extremely far, and I couldn't believe they could do something, something with that with a wood bat. Well, you're certainly making uh, your name back in, in Virginia. You know, you mentioned, you know, you're quiet. You're, and I think we all know your, your wife, Madison. You met at Maryland. She, she played softball there. Is she, are you guys opposites? Are you guys similar? How would you describe your relationship? And did you guys meet through sports? I think we're extremely similar. You know, we're not, she's not extremely talkative. And, you know, she's okay with just hanging out and, you know, relaxing by the pool or something like that. She didn't have to be doing something, which is, you know, fantastic. And we actually met at study hall. So I guess you'd technically say through sports because, you know, they were mandated hours. But, yeah, we met at a time we probably should have been studying and, you know, doing homework. But that's where, you know, we kind of met each other and started getting pretty close. And then, you know, as, as it all went along, we got closer and closer, started hanging out more. How helpful is she as a sounding board for you? Incredible. And, you know, she she knows exactly what what's going on, which is something that I think people overlook. Like, I'm not going to go 0 for 3 with three pop outs. And she'll be like, well, you hit the ball. You know, <laughs> she'll, if I go, you know, 0 for 3 with three line outs, then she'll be like, all right, yeah, that was like you did something good there. But if I do that, she'll, she, she won't hesitate to let me know. And that's obviously good to get that honesty, I'm sure. Absolutely. You know, she's there on both ends of it. You guys, too, I mean, you mentioned you're both quiet, but you do have fun on social media. I've seen whether it's Twitter or Instagram. Do you have a preferred social media of choice, and if so, what? Uh, I like posting more on Instagram, but I think, you know, some of the stuff you see on Twitter is just hard to pass up. You know, it's pretty funny big fan of your sarcasm and stuff like that and you know as from some of the tweets that madison has made you can see she's also (laughs) pretty pretty into the sarcasm as well and uh i don't know it's i I like both of them a lot when you're not at the field um and not doing social media because i know you're not doing that much of it but uh video games movies tv shows which you're which what do you use to kind of you know occupy your time so we, I'll do like a mix, you know, I'll watch Netflix with Madison for a little while and then go entertain the puppy for a little bit because she can't be on, uh, just lay down for too long before she starts getting antsy and then video games and, you know, sometimes we have time about golfing and those are pretty, that's pretty much it. Game of choice that you guys play and, and what's your Netflix show that you're binging now? Right now we're, we're watching Lucifer, which... Is way better than I thought it would be, and then video. She she doesn't participate in the video game aspect. That's uh, completely just me by myself. Um, Even like MLB the Show, she wouldn't play. No, nah, she wouldn't play that. She's she just uh, <laughs> we played Crash Bandicoot and it got remastered on PS4, and I thought she was gonna break one of my controllers. <laughs> she she couldn't beat a level. She's extremely competitive, just like me. So it, it's 
it's fun to watch it, but also at the same time, like, don't break my stuff. <laughs> Does having a dog kind of mellow things out a little bit? And, and what kind of dog did you guys get? A little bit. You know, it, it definitely helps, you know, have a tough day at the, at the yard. And, you know, you get to go back to this, you know, 20-pound dog puppy that's the most excited little thing to see you. And it's awesome. Like, she'll, you, you could leave a room, go to the bathroom, come back, and she'll act like she hasn't seen you in three years. So that helps a lot, you know, it helps kind of take off some of the stress of, you know, the game and all that stuff. And we ended up getting a mini Bernadoodle, which is a Bernese Mountain Dog and a Toy Poodle mix. And you named it Kali, which is probably confusing the you-know-what out of it. No, uh, yeah, we named her Kali because she doesn't really look like a border Kali, but some people think that that's why we named her that, but no. Well, whatever works, right? Yeah. If this is to be a, obviously we're at the start of the season, how do you judge what's a good year and, and what are you hoping for, for you and this group? Well, I mean, we're, you know, you look at your series and, you know, are you having a productive series? You know, you winning a series, you tying a series, just don't lose a series. And I think that that'll, in the long run, it'll add up to a pretty good year. You know, it, and that's, you know, really what we focus on. Personalized goals are, are nice and all of that, but as you can see, it really doesn't matter a whole lot. Well, hopefully many more series that you guys will win over the course of the season and continued success on and off the field. We appreciate some time on this week in race baseball. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That is Brandon Lau, and we'll continue in just a moment. You're listening to the Race Baseball Network. Welcome back to this week in Race Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. One of the terrific stories in the early part of the race schedule has been the bullpen, which even with a tough Saturday has allowed only 10 runs in 37 innings. And I asked bullpen coach Stan Borowski how comfortable he was going into the year after getting a feel last year for the opener. Uh, yeah, I thought it worked well. And the players' buy-in to what we were trying to do couldn't have been any better and they did exactly what we asked them to do there were no questions they are just wanted to contribute they wanted to help the team win and uh, they were ready to take the ball anytime we asked them to it was awesome how much of last year was also Sergio being a veteran and a guy who had finished World Series and quickly bought into opening games for you guys and then helped the guys kind of buy in well if that guy's doing it and he's a 10-year guy well I better go along with everything and follow too well of course it always helps to have that one veteran guy that will kind of lead the flock so to speak and when he took the ball in Anaheim those back-to-back days and had success doing it nobody had a problem with it after that it was it worked out perfectly he obviously has moved on is Chaz Rowe now the veteran of the group is there a veteran of the group it's kind of got a different look the bullpen this year from that regard I think everybody down there's a lot more comfortable this year um, the guys that were the rookies last year the Castillos and the Stanics and uh, the Alvarados and you know those guys and then Chaz obviously having the most service time but you know bounced around but he's a little bit older you know he's the, he's kind of like the dad of the group but uh, everybody is a lot more comfortable down there this year and uh, you're gonna you're gonna see how they perform this year I'm kind of curious, you know, your take in terms of, like, obviously you and Kyle are constantly communicating, but when a guy like a Ryan Yarbrough or a Yanni Chirinos are working as bulk guys, are they considered bullpen guys? Are they starters? I mean, because they're still pitching a lot every fifth day versus, let's say, a bullpen routine where you need to be ready every day. Well, right now they are, they're at least starting on every fifth day, and not, not starting the game, but, but they're starting the season planning to pitch on every fifth day. But they're down in, their, in the bullpen with us from the first 
pitch of the game, and they are considered bullpen guys because I, I can foresee in the future where instead of every fifth day, you might ask one to come in on the third day to get an out or two outs uh, or an inning or on the fourth day. So they've got to be down there. They've got to be ready. And, uh, yeah, they are absolutely considered bullpen guys. And I would guess part of that also is the fact that there are four off days here in the month of uh, April. And Charlie Morton and Blake Snell probably were not as stretched out in that first or, or are going to be as stretched out in the first month as, as sometimes maybe they would in another season. Uh, yeah, we kind of built it that way because we do have several ball guys down there that can pick up the innings. So coming into the season, coming out of spring in, in uh, to start the season, we just looked at the staff and we have plenty of pitches to cover – the innings that we're going to have to throw. So, yeah, it, it's all been taken into consideration. And all of that, obviously, is with the goal of playing, obviously, into October and having guys as fresh as possible. Let's kind of run through the bullpen look itself. You mentioned bulk guys. Let's begin with Jalen Beeks, who was so impressive on opening day. What's impressed you about the way he's carried himself and the way he's evolved going into 2019? Well, just his commitment to trust his stuff. We've been telling him since the day we got him, your stuff is really, really good. And just throw it over the plate and good things will happen. And he is buying into the results that we're seeing and the information that we have for him and presenting him with that if you throw it over the plate and if you are in continual attack mode, that you're going to have a lot of success. And he uh, he saw that uh, through spring training this year and obviously into opening night and he threw the ball great. And he's also tweaked his delivery, which I would assume has to make him tougher to pick up. Uh, Yeah, just a minor little adjustments here and there. But yeah, that has something to do with it. But the stuff has always been there. So that's the thing that we're banking on is that stuff. Uh, the, the, the fastball, the changeup is outstanding. Uh, the, the two breaking balls that he throws, he can throw a curveball for strike one. And, uh, you know, he's doing all those things. In their first full year in the big leagues, Yanni Chirinos and Ryan Yarber, who we mentioned, did an awful lot for their first year. How do you think those guys can both grow this year in their roles? Well, they're just more comfortable with what they're doing. And the ability to get ready quick, the ability to prepare themselves mentally pregame for knowing that they might start the second inning, they might start sometime in the second inning, they might start the third inning. And just being mentally prepared to do those different things, not knowing exactly what's going to happen on any given day, and having experienced that last year, it's going to make them a lot more comfortable this year. The one thing I saw from Yanni, at least in spring training, was he was also starting to throw the fastball up in addition to having that great sinker down. How much better can that make him to change high levels of hitters here in his second year in the bigs? Well, it just gives him something else to do. And Anytime you can give a hitter a different look, something else to think about, regardless of how often he uses it, if they know that he has a four-seam fastball that has very good carry and he also has a two-seam fastball which has very good sink, then you have to prepare for both of them. And given that ability that he has, not many pitchers have that. So we are encouraging him to use both fastballs just for that specific reason. Speaking of stuff that is hard to prepare for, Jose Alvarado really, I thought, evolved, I don't know about you, into one of the better relievers in the game in the last couple months last year. Is that fair? Oh, there's no question about it. Whenever you throw in the upper 90s from the left side from his slot and then you have two different breaking balls, the cutter, the curveball that come off of that – you can't prepare for it because you don't see it. I mean, there aren't many left-handers from that slot to throw that hard. So if you're only seeing it a couple times a season as a hitter, uh, there is no way you can prepare for that. And his cutter almost has sometimes change-up action on it, too, the way it dives down. Uh, yeah, it has good, really good downer action, and it plays very well off of his two-seam. And it's it's not a whole lot slower than his fastball, but even at, in the upper 80s, low 90s, and it gets that kind of depth to it, uh, it can be very difficult to pick up as a hitter. 
How nice a contrast is it between him and another guy who I would assume is going to pitch in the back end of some games at times, and that's Diego Castillo? Well, one, they have very similar uh, profiles in that they both throw really, really hard. They both throw from a higher slot. They both have outstanding sinkers, and they have good sliders. But seeing it from the right side and the left side, uh, that just gives us some uh, matchup potentials that we're going to take advantage of. As we take a look through some of the rest of the bullpen, Ryan Stanek is a guy who really committed to his off-speed stuff. Is that really a key for him to continue to be successful in the big leagues? Well, absolutely, and not only for him, but for a lot of guys. And his stuff really developed nicely over the course of the season last year. The split started to come around to where it was more consistent. The slider has always been good. And just given his uh, propensity in the past to kind of rely on the fastball, he's kind of getting away from that a little bit. And again, if you start mixing pitches, it really makes it a lot more difficult for the uh, hitter preparation when he's out there on the mound. Chaz Rowe was obviously a spectacular righty specialist. Is he probably going to be more or less in that kind of role at the back end of games? Well, probably that's how it's going to start, but we'll see how it evolves. And, uh, you know, with the slider that he throws, that's obviously, you know, one of the better sliders in the game of baseball. And it's very tough on right-handed hitters. So moving forward, I can see us using him predominantly against righties, but I'm not going to rule out that he's not going to get some lefties here and there as well uh, because his fastball plays pretty well too. And speaking of, of lefties, Adam Kalerick is a guy who I thought the last two months kind of believed he belonged in the big leagues. Oh, no question about that. Uh, you know, AK gives us an entirely different look than a lot of those guys that were running out there. You know, he's, he's not the high-octane, you know, over-the-top hard thrower that the other guys are. So it just gives the hitters a different look. And whether it be the guy in front of him, him, or the guy behind him, it kind of changes things from a hitter perspective when they know they have to prepare for him. And speaking of different looks, Wilmer Font is a guy we haven't touched on. Obviously, he's been a starter at times. I guess he could be a guy who can open. What does he bring different from, let's say, other guys on that group? Uh, That very thing, all the versatility. We can start him. We can open him. We can use him as bulk. We can use him uh, against righties and lefties. He's fairly platoon neutral with the arsenal that he brings to the table and it just adds a lot of versatility down in the bullpen with that guy that you can use just much in, just about in any situation that you want. And as you look at this bullpen, how good a group can it be? Because we haven't even mentioned there's a lot of depth, a lot of guys who ended up starting the year in AAA Durham who have the ability to help this group as the season goes. Well, we always say going into a season that the pitching staff, although we might break with 12 guys, if we're not 15, 16, 17, 18 pitchers deep, in the organization, in AAA, that we can kind of mix and match with, then it has the potential to be a really tough year. The good thing is we have those guys that we had to make some tough decisions on coming out of spring training. They didn't make the club right away. But there's no question that we have guys in uh, Durham right now that will absolutely be contributors moving forward with the team this season. And you always, if you don't have those guys, it's going to be a long year. But fortunately, we do have them. Neil Solon's with you on This Week in Race Baseball. We just spent a lot of time on the race bullpen, and as good as the pitching has been, the new catching tandem of Michael Perez and Mike Zanino deserves credit as well. I spoke with Major League Coordinator Paul Hoover, who works with the catchers, about that. They've been great. It's been a lot of fun. Um, they're having success. They're, Mikey got a couple uh, big hits the other day. Both guys are throwing guys out. We're catching wins. You know, it's, it's fun. It's fun to watch. From your perspective, how much fun has this been to to be on the major league coaching staff after all the work I know you've done in this system and and throughout major league baseball too? Uh, it's exciting. It's an exciting time. It's an exciting time for not only myself but as an organization. This is this is kind of where what we've been looking to do for some time now. We have the young core here. 
and the time is now. I feel like I'm just excited to be a part of the, the time of not only what's, what's going on here in the big leagues, but the young prospects that we have coming up the system. Personally, um, how comfortable are you, are you now with the guys? Because Michael Perez, you really didn't know a whole lot going into camp. Mike Sinino, you didn't know a whole lot. You know, you have worked so much with all the prospects as they've come up through the system. Yeah, I'm just, I mean, as soon as I got the job, I pretty much started reaching out to the guys. Just try to develop a relationship. It's taking time, and it's still ongoing, and it's not going to be where it's going to be in a month as it won't be in, in two months. But um, it's a work in progress, and we're working, and they're getting to know me, and I'm getting to know them. What have you liked about each of them, what they've done on the field, and just the way they work? Both of them, I mean, Mikey was here a little bit last year, but both of them have done an outstanding job of talking to the pitchers, communicating, getting on the same page, and figuring out from Kyle, from Stan, from myself, from Q, what these pitchers' strengths and weaknesses are, and they're just trying to carry it on and pitch to their strengths. But what they've done, minus all the physical stuff, the mental stuff that they that we've asked them to do from the beginning of spring training and to this point, and how they've been able to have the aptitude and be able to learn each and every guy has been, been really cool to see. And how receptive have they been also, I would guess, to new ideas and doing things differently because they both came from outside organizations? They, they've been great. They've, they've done everything that we've asked them to do. Um, with that being said, we've asked them. We told them at the beginning we're going to try new things. We're going to do different things and be open. That's all we ask is to be open and try it and see what happens of it. We might like some things. We might hate some things. But we're, we're going to figure some stuff out when we try new things. For you, how enjoyable has this been to kind of work on a daily basis? I would assume on game planning, too, because you're helping them prepare along with Kyle and, and Stan and that sort of thing, where before you were going from club to club, you may have been involved for a period of time, but not all the way you're going to get to do this through a season. Yeah, it's, it's completely different. It's, it's, it's exciting. It's something new for me. First series, I wasn't so good. The last series, a little bit better. I think I'll, I'll figure some things out the more I do it. For fans who may not know, beyond the catching, are you kind of what are your other roles here? I'm, I'm doing a little bit of everything. I mean, I'm, uh, the, the, the schedule amongst everybody else on the staff with the ske- the daily schedule that we're doing, uh, the catchers, the run game during the game, um, helping pitchers with being quick to the plate or helping pitchers with changing the signs and things like that. Just a little, really a little bit of everything. I get to kind of say my, what my thoughts to the coaches on, on everything that's going on. And I would get, I would imagine this has probably been as bad a good a week as, you know, you could ask for. Oh man. I mean, the, the opening day was awesome. We lost, but it was still awesome. And, and uh, for the guys to be playing the way that we're playing, it's been a blast. And that is Rays Major League Coordinator Paul Hoover, who works with the catchers, and we hope the season continues to be a blast for him and the guys working behind the play for the Rays. Coming up, it'll be Tampa Bay's principal owner, Stuart Sternberg, and much more. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball on the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. This week, of course, is the first time that Evan Longoria is facing the Rays. Of the current group, Kevin Kiermeyer played the most games with Evan and Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times and I asked for KK's take on the former face of the franchise. I always tell people I have nothing but respect. I always call him three. I know he's number 10 now. He will forever be three in my eyes. So every time I either call him Longo or three, and that's just, you know, little inside jokes. He calls me three nine, and I just, I call him three. That's what we do. Getting back to the point, though, I'll have respect for that man forever. He showed me how to be a true professional on and off the field. Just watching him behind closed doors each and every day, 
for four or five years, whatever it was. The guy, he was so beat up all the time, you know, he was always on the training tables, you know, getting treatment literally every day, but you could always count on his name to be penciled in. And it didn't matter if he was 0 for 4, 4 for 4. He's a guy where winning was always the number one priority. And I'm, I always appreciate that because sometimes, you know, a lot of guys can get caught up in to what they're doing, their individual performance. And Longo, uh, we all care about how we do. There's no doubt about that. But at the end of the day, all that guy wanted to do was win. And, you know, he always was a great influence uh, to me. And he was the guy who 20, 30 years down the road for me, everyone say, who's the guy that you learned from and looked up to? My answer will always be Evan Longoria. And so now, you know, I'm trying to pass on the things that he taught me to, to other guys. So, like I said, I'm forever grateful for that. It'll be weird, you know, looking over there, you know, kind of taking a peek at the infield and, um, you know, maybe I'm maybe let them know I'm gonna I'm gonna bun on you. You know, something fun like that. I'm probably not, but it'll be it'll be different. You know, I've seen highlights of them with you know different uni. It's been over a year now, but uh, that guy's always gonna have a place, uh, you know, spot in this franchise for what he's done, and it, it'll be fun playing against him. I'm looking forward to seeing him, catching up with him a little bit, but always have good things to say about that man. You said you learned your biggest lessons from him. So would the biggest lessons be, you know, the importance of posting up, just worrying about the team, or the things that you would say are most important? I would say, honestly, preparation. Preparation for day in, day out, whether you're playing or not. And, and like I said, he's been an everyday player, so he's always had that mindset. But, you know, going watching videos on pitchers and having a plan for each game, each at-bat, certain things like that, that's something that... He was just better than anyone I've ever been around when it comes to that. And like I said, the guy would play each and every day. And, you know, for his resume speaks for itself, what he's done. It's amazing. His work before each and every game, you can't, you can't teach that. He just, he has that it factor. And that's why you can, you know, I know he got hurt last year, uh, got broke his, broke something, got hit in the hand or whatever. But other than that, I mean, how many games throughout his big league tenure has he played 155 games plus there's not many guys who have played more games than him throughout the past however many years since he's stepped onto the scene in the big leagues very impressive and one one thing I'll I'll tell you guys a story that you I don't think a whole lot of people are aware of but this is my Evan Longoria story so my second call up to the big leagues we're in Anaheim that was when I got my first hit my first homer Made a really, you know, number one play on Sports Center. Played really well that weekend. And they were going to send me down that Sunday. And Longo was pissed. He said, and he went and either talked to Joe or Andrew at the time and said, you guys, and this was early in the season, and, you know, we're all trying to win. And Longo said, you guys, you're not sending him down. You're going you're gonna to send someone else down. You're not sending KK down. He's our best player this weekend. We're trying to win. You're not sending him down. I ended up getting sent down that Wednesday. Now, fast forward to 2017. I Now, this is where it comes sort of my story. I was the last day of service time, Super 2 cutoff, 2.131 days. And I look back at it, and then I ended up getting a deal, you know, a couple months later after I found out I was Super 2. Who knows if the Rays ever come at me with the deal? You know, once I'm Super 2, it's like, okay, he's going to – if I never got those three extra days, who knows what my – situation as far as 
contract, all that stuff would be. I'll never forget that, what Longo did. And it seriously, it almost it almost brought Paul Harker to tears, and I teared up after to have the guy that I look up to, who I didn't really know very well at the time, for him to do that, it brought tears to my eyes. That's why I said I'll go to battle with that man any day of the week. And I am forever grateful for that moment especially. But that is one of the coolest things. I'm getting the chills thinking about it. Coolest things anyone has ever done for me. And like I said, thinking about my personal situation, you know, making Super 2 because that, that might have got me a contract at that point in time. Who knows? Could have, would have, should have. But it, everything ended up working out. And I, I thank Longo, even if I didn't make Super 2 or anything, for him to just allow me three extra days uh, and saying you can't send this guy down uh, speaks volumes to his leadership, just him being a vet. I mean, just a true professional. And like I said, I am forever grateful for, for that reason alone and all the other things that he's done for me and everyone else in this clubhouse for years. And that is Kevin Kiermeyer, some terrific perspective on now opponent Evan Longoria as he faces the Rays for the first time. And Longo isn't the only former Rays player Tampa Bay saw this weekend. Of course, Jake McGee, before being injured, returned to Tropicana Field for the first appearance since joining Colorado. It's been a while. It's been, you know, it's good good to be back, stay, sleep in my own bed and stuff. So. Now you're, is your home, do you still have an off-season home here? Yeah, I still have an off-season home here in Tampa. Uh, my in-laws live here in my uh sister-in-law does too so what flooded back to you when you came back here what memories came back uh it's just good to see see everyone else who like works here you know the security guys the the parking guys you know to you and like everyone else around here you know it's just good to see ever all the familiar faces because i played here for so long what are your best memories what are the things that you will remember most in your years here just some of the big games that i was able to be fortunate to pitch in here, uh, pitch in the game 162, 2011. Be here for that, be for for a moment, and like in this franchise is pretty big. It's really neat to be a part of that. What do you remember about that game now that you're separated from it? God, it doesn't seem like eight years, but it's eight years ago. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I just remember I remember pitching in extra innings, getting out of like a big jam, then we come right back in. And then I remember that hearing the fans kind of cheering and going crazy, and we didn't really know what happened, and Longoria was already hitting. And then 10, 15 seconds later, Longoria hits walk-off home run, and we found out we'd win the wild card. You know, it was a pretty crazy whirlwind in the moment. And, the, you know, thinking back now, it was pretty crazy how the events happened so close together, you know. Is it strange for you to be reunited with Wade and be back in this ballpark? And how much, how close were the two of you coming up through the system? Uh, we are really close because both of us got drafted in 2004 and then um, coming to the minor leagues and then playing together in the big leagues here. And then for us to be able to play together in the big leagues again and just for us to even be free agents at the same time and then we didn't really think about coming in the same place and, you know, it all ended up working out that, you know, the Rockies are a good organization and for us to be here together and play again. So so you didn't text him and recruit him at all? Um, no, after I signed, I was just asked him what – I just told him a few things about the organization, you know, like it, like how good it was and, you know, it wouldn't be a bad place to sign. You know, it would always be good to play with him again, so – you re-signed after pitching in Coors Field. How hard a decision was that, and how dif- how difficult is it? Because this is a fair ballpark, I would say. Tampa's a fair ballpark, but after pitching in Colorado for a few years, and, you know, it's tougher to pitch there, but you just have to have a strong mentality. And, you know, if you're really strong mentally, you, you know you're going to give up some runs at home in Colorado, and then, you know, you pitch well like you always do on the road, and everything kind of evens out. Your ARA is going to be a little higher, but at the end of the day, 
everyone knows it's harder to pitch there. Um, but the, for me to come back to Colorado was an easy decision. You know, it was a good organization. I knew the, knew the city. My family knew the city. And the, everyone on the team was, you know, it's a tight-knit clubhouse. And you obviously have experienced some winning, too. How similar, I mean, the organizations are different, but how, what similarities are there between the Rays and Rockies? Um, it's still like a loose clubhouse. Um, all the guys on the team get along really well. From the communication from the top to the bottom is always really good, too. Um, you see, like, the owner around all the time, GMO around all the time. Same with Tampa. You see Freeman around all the time. And, you know, and just how relatable the head coaches are, too. You know, the how Cash and Buddy, they're very similar. Like, they're more players' managers, and they communicate really well. And that is former Rays reliever Jake McGee. We certainly hope he's healthy soon and rejoins Colorado. He went on the injured list after his appearance against the Rays this past week. He each Rays Sunday home game is Family Fun Day, courtesy of Tampa General Hospital. The Rays will have face painters and balloon artists and kids get to run the bases after the game. On Sunday, April 21st, when the Rays play the Red Sox, fans 14 and under receive Daniel Robertson wristbands presented by Moffitt Cancer Center. Go to RaysBaseball.com for more information. You know, each season on this program, this week in Rays Baseball, I get a chance to sit down with the principal owner of the Rays, that is, of course, Stuart Sternberg. And after a, a successful start, I first asked Sternberg what he liked most about the opening weekend of 2019. I believe it, the excitement and the, the feedback, really, about the, the building itself. You know, we've planned and gone through a number of changes over the years, and this one, for whatever reason, got a lot of people pointing, talking, looking, smiling, and uh, I gave probably a half dozen tours or more around the place, and I, it, it really made a nice difference between the lights, the grass, the left field edge, the new food items, the front entrance, you know, I could go on a little bit, but, you know. You've invested $15 million over the past couple of years. As you walk around, what were your favorite parts of the changes? The, the main thing we did, which now seems old, but if you remember not far back, as many of you might be listening, the center field, the porch. And to be able to do, you know, pretty much a 360 around it, you know, that's only a couple of years old. That made, that made the biggest impact for me. We've changed the turf before, and every time we change the turf, we think this is the one. You know, it's like you meet somebody, this is the one. <laughs> I believe this could be the one, and it's getting a nice added bump from the new lights we put in which, uh, you know, we're nice to be able to play around with and all, but, and, you know, it makes the place look brighter, which is nice. But clearly, yeah, my favorite was the porch. And now what we were able to do to add on to that uh, by, by filling out the outfield with the ledge, it creates a nicer environment when you're sitting in the ball watching the game, that you've got movement and people outside, uh, you know, that you're facing out there, that you, it, it just makes the place feel more intimate. And you got to enjoy an opening weekend with your family. What are your best family memories of opening days, opening, opening weekends, whatever they may be? Well, a couple of things. One, when we first signed on to buy our part of the team, but before we actually took over, and this was in uh, May of 2004, we came down here as a family, and my youngest at the time was four, uh, or was just about to turn five, and now she's a, a sophomore in college. So that, you know, you can imagine that's the gamut. But I think back to their, the very beginning and the time they came in the locker room, and one of the things I said to each of them at the time, and then when they got a little older, I said, I just want to let you know, the day that you come down here and you sort of take it for granted, you know, it's sort of over for you. And I've heeded those words myself. I still pinch myself, and I consider just how ridiculously fortunate I am to be here anytime I set foot near this field. I would imagine that they enjoy it in different ways. What did they enjoy when they came down here? Because I saw your family was here through opening weekend. A couple of them love keeping score, and we keep score together. 
Uh, that's always been a thing I did. I did it with my dad. I did it with my, my friends, and I still do. We, I'll see ball games with my friends outside of Tropicana Field and not, you know, outside of Rays games as well. And a, a couple of us, few of us, always keep score together, and it's just a fun thing to do. Another one is now a pastry chef, and she loved uh, recently. She's gone into the, she went into the kitchen and saw all the new food items and talked to the new chef. And we, when we, we're doing a, a much better job there since Levy came in, especially this year as well. And then I've got one who very much loves all the marketing aspect of it and the things that we're doing with social media. A lot of these things, you know, they, they, they couldn't do as, as 6, 7, 12-year-olds with things like social media didn't exist. So, But the one thing that has been a constant through all this was the kids keeping score with me. And, and you know, when I walk away to go do something like an interview or this like this, I know that the book's in good hands. That's a good thing. Um, you mentioned the food and, and your daughter, who's a pastry chef. I know you're a noted foodie. So as you got to sample new foods in the ballpark, what were your favorites and why? Let's say food and then also dessert. I w- oh, that's okay. <laughs> Can we start with dessert and finish with dessert? Like every meal should. I was skeptical but incredibly impressed with the fried grouper sandwich. It was not greasy. It was crispy. It was tasty. It was not fishy at all. I love most people like a grilled cheese when it's made right in front of you, right? Nice, crunchy, crispy, gooey grilled cheese. And then the one that and it had a... Um, uh, some what do we have like a, a slight a brisket or something inside of it? So those have been the two items. The pizza has gotten dramatically better. What I found out is that we were using frozen pizza before, and now we're using a fresh pizza. And and uh, the kids who've had it many times, my wife and I looked at it a uh, second day. We were here and was like, wow, this is much better. Ice cream wise, my favorite. I mean, the classic is Mr. Softy is always great. Dippin' Dots always works. But uh, the new item we have over in the third base side. The ice cream sandwich, the, here's the deal with it. And I didn't know the extent of it, and I was very impressed the first time. You can take, there are a number of different cookies, and you can take the cookie or a brownie, and then pick an ice cream to go in the middle of it. And what I did is I took a brownie and a chocolate chip cookie, and then they put it on a, and this is the key here, they put it in some a press, like a, one of those George Foreman things, but it has a little hole in the center, so it fits like a, like a hamburger would fit, like the cookie fits. They press it down, heat the cookie, and in this case the brownie, the ice cream stays cold, and you can't replicate this one at home very easily. <laughs> it was delicious. So I, it was a good, it was probably sixth inning, sixth, seventh inning. It worked beautifully. We'll make sure to add a couple of those up in the booth at some point this year. Hey, a little too <laughs> effusive about the food items. No, that's okay. That's okay. On the field last year, you said this group is going to be better than you think, and it turned out to be much better than I think anyone would have thought. So what adjective would you use to describe this year's hopes? Well, it's, I, I, I'm not a hope guy, right? But I, everybody uses the word, and I find myself slipping once in a while. Uh, we have an expectation. I think the difference this year is, expect- is just the word expectation. Uh, you say, what are your expectations? Just the fact that we have expectations and, you know, the connotation behind that. Because you could have expectations of a rotten year. But when somebody says, oh, you, have, you really have expectations, you know what that means. You're expecting a baby. I'm not comparing this to childbirth. But when you just use the word on its own, that's what we have, you know, and to, quite simply. What that means, I don't know. We won 90 last year and didn't smell the playoffs. I would love to be able to have this team win 90 games and maybe some more. Um, If it ends up putting us in the playoffs, great. It'll be really hard to win the American League East with 90 wins. And most other divisions, National League East, National League Central, American League Central. If somebody says you're 90, you expect to win the division pretty much, right? So... Uh, probably different in the AL West and definitely in the AL East. No question about that. You made 
big additions like Charlie Morton, but also the extensions of Blake Snell and Brandon Lau. Explain why those are why you decided to follow through with those and why they were so they're so important for this organization. It, there are two things that come with it. One is cost certainty, which obviously you can have cost certainty and give somebody three like the uh, somebody who signed Machado or Hopper. They have cost certainty, right? So it's less of an issue about that. However, these are these are guys who we both feel can. I think the word to use is, and they would agree with this. I think if you ask them specifically, do you want to outperform your contract? We would love, and we believe these are both players who can and will outperform their contract. And I would imagine that both of them would love and expect and believe that they can outperform their contract. So it, it, it works. You know, it's not a unilateral thing. It only works for Team I. You got over on the player or the player got over on you. It happens sometimes. A player signs a contract. They don't perform up to the contract. And everybody sort of, nobody's really happy with it. You know, the player gets paid money and it costs the team more than the production they anticipated. So I believe these are both, and that's what we try to do with all of our situations, is have a player outperform his contract and have them feel good about outperforming their contract. And Charlie? I would say it's funny. I was talking to him uh, just before uh, because he, he's unique in a sense. He has come in with an outsider's perspective. He doesn't have anything to prove to anybody. He's not playing for his next contract, yet he's, a, he's not like the classic sort of guy veteran we've picked up like that. You know, not that they, And they've been great players for us, the, the Johnny Damons, Cliff Floyds, on one side of the ball, you know, maybe... Um, Percival. I was just going to say Troy Percival on the other side of the ball. And Neil, you know your Rays better than I do. He's a guy who's here, you know, with a, with a big money contract, had opportunities to go elsewhere. So he's been a good sounding board for the couple times I've spoken to him. I know the organization as well. Because he, he's a guy who's had to struggle to get to success. He's been with a number of organizations. It's not like he's played with all one club the whole time. And he's not looking for... He doesn't need to impress anybody, look for his next contract... And as you've met him a little bit, I know, I'm sure, you know, he's a, he's a genuine guy who wants to really perform and help his teammates do better. So he should only be a positive uh, for all the young pitchers and all the pitchers we have. And I think that bringing some perspective that he's gotten both from organizations uh, as a star, uh, like we played the Astros last week, but also uh, as a guy who's had to struggle for a good amount of time to get there, a number, of the, a number of the players have had the opportunity to talk to him and, and learn from both of those things. We know you love watching so many of the race players. Is there one player on another team that you love watching, you know, as long as he's not playing the race? Well, <laughs> uh, it's, it's hard. It really is hard. I, you know, I guess the guy you want to watch, you know, the, the guy you like watching the most is the one you, 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 you dislike the most, right, in a sense. I would say from a feared standpoint, no longer the case, but the guy who, who put the most fear in me for, not last year, but in the recent history, Donaldson. Donaldson to me was just, you know, I, Bautista had ridiculous success against us. And there are a lot of guys who have success. But I would say his, his, watching this guy in the field and watching him hit and, and get out there, you know, I, he's been a guy, I, I won't say, like I say, I've enjoyed watching or look forward to watching, but it sort of scared me the most. Trout's a joy to watch, play, you know, play baseball. It's tough, like, you, you know, you, a guy like Altuve who was in here, just a joy to watch play the game. Fortunately, we don't don't have to play them that often. Fortunately, he bunted last week, and, um, you know, he, but he, he's a fun guy to watch, yeah. And lastly, this year goes as you would hope if? If, if we get to 90-plus wins. And if we get to 90-plus wins, and uh, that's basically it. We can only can control what we could control. Last year, we... 
Last year, if we had won 84, it would have been an incredibly successful season. I would love to have the organiz- as an organization have the success, even two-thirds of the success we had last year in, in the development of our younger players, you know, how, how our farm system grew, the success we had at all levels of the, of the minor leagues. So I would say if the major league uh, team wins as many games as they did last year and the minor league prospects perform even close to what they did last year, that would be an amazing season for us. Here's to that in a really good year. I like your style. Thank you. And that is the principal owner of the Rays and Stuart Sternberg, and we certainly appreciate him coming on today's program. You know, the Rays open their season series against the Red Sox at home on Friday, April 19th. That's the next homestand. Saturday, April 20th, all fans will receive a Ryan Stanick bottle opener, courtesy of Republic Bank. While supplies last, all you have to do is go to RaysBaseball.com for more information and raise up. In addition to the principal owner of the race, Stuart Sternberg, special thanks to all of our guests on the program today, including Brandon Lau, of course, uh, he's done a nice job moving from spot to spot in the lineup. Stan Borowski, the race bullpen coach, Major League Coordinator Paul Hoover, talking about his first week in the big leagues. Kevin Kiermeyer for joining us to chat a little bit about one Evan Longoria and his experiences with him, and also now Rocky and former Ray and Jake McGee. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me, at Neil Solons. Hey, the Race Rookies Kids Club, presented by Outback Steakhouse, has returned for the 2019 season. For just $10, kids receive a ticket to every Sunday home game, a race snapback hat, exclusive offers, and a ticket to a Tampa Bay Rowdies home match. All you have to do is sign up right now at racebaseball.com slash rookies. On the program next week, we'll sit down with new third base coach Rodney Linares and also take a look at the Rays minor league system. Special thanks to our producer on today's show, Derek DuBose. Rays today trying to win a series, their first road set of 2019 against the San Francisco Giants. I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next, and this is the Rays Baseball Network. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.